I want to start today's message off by reading you uh, just a, a good little story. It's called, I Love My Attorney. Some of you guys may have heard this before, but this after, uh, after living what I felt was a decent life, my time on earth came to an end. The first thing I remember is sitting on a bench in the waiting room of what I thought to be a courthouse. The doors opened and I was instructed to come in and have a seat by the defense table. As I looked around, I saw the prosecutor. He was a villainous-looking gent who snarled as he stared at me. He definitely was the most evil person I had ever seen. I sat down and looked to my left, and there, was, there sat my attorney, a kind and gentle-looking man whose appearance seemed so familiar I felt I knew him. The corner door opened, and there appeared the judge in full flowing robes. He commanded an awesome presence as he moved across the room, and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. As he took his seat behind the bench, he said, Let us begin. The prosecutor rose and said, My name is Satan, and I am here to show you why this man belongs in hell. He proceeded to tell of lies that I had told, things that I had stole, and in the past when I had cheated others. Satan told of other horrible perversions that were once in my life, and the more he spoke, the further down in my seat I sank. I was so embarrassed that I couldn't look at, look at anyone, even my own attorney, as the devil told of sins that even I had completely forgotten about. As upset as I was at Satan for telling all those things about me, I was equally upset with my attorney, who sat there silently and didn't say a thing. I know I had been guilty of, of those things, but I had done some good in my life. Couldn't that at least equal out part of the harm I'd done? Satan finished with a fury and said, This man belongs in hell. He is guilty of all that I have charged him with, and there is not a person who can prove otherwise. When it was his turn, my attorney first asked if he, he might approach the bench. The judge allowed this over the strong objection of Satan and beckoned following to Bucking him to come forward. As he got up and started walking, I was able to see him in his full splendor and majesty. I realized why he seemed so familiar. This was Jesus representing me, my Lord and Savior. He stopped at the bench and softly said to the judge, Hey, Dad. And he turned to address the court. Satan was correct in saying that this man had sinned. I won't deny any of these allegations. And yes, the wage of sin is death. But this man deserve, and this man deserves to be punished. Jesus took a deep breath and turned to his father with outstretched arms and proclaimed, However, I died on the cross that this person might have eternal life, and he has accepted me as his Savior, so he is mine. My Lord continued with, His name is written in the book of life, and no one can snatch him from me. Satan still does not understand yet, This man is not to be given justice, but rather mercy. As Jesus sat down, he quietly paused, looking at his father and said, There is nothing else that needs to be done. I've done it all. The judge lifted his mighty hand and slammed the gavel down. The following words bellowed from his lips. This man is free. The penalty for him has already been paid in full. Case dismissed. I asked Jesus as he gave me my instructions where to go next. Have you ever lost a case? Christ lovingly smiled and said, Everyone that has come to me and asked me to represent them has received the same verdict as you, paid in full. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for our great attorney. Amen. Who always goes to the Father on our behalf. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, but praise God, the word of God says that 
that Jesus, by his one act of righteousness, has silenced the voice of our accuser. You don't have to listen to that. You can just, like, talk to the hand, you know, like, whatever, get at it. I'm not listening. You don't have to listen to that. You'll hear it. If you listen, you will hear accusations of why you stink, why you're no good, why you're whatever. You'll hear it. But you can silence the voice of the accuser by saying, God himself silenced the voice of the accuser. I don't have to listen to him. Amen. So praise God. Guilty that we might be, because of Jesus, we are innocent. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Well, today I'm going to finish our series on covenants with you. We've been talking about covenants for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And today I want to share with you guys the story of Mephibosheth and, and Jonathan and King David. And uh, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I just love uh, the covenant realities from this story. It just really blesses my heart. So I hope that it blesses yours as well. But Mephibosheth, when he was five years old, uh, Jonathan and his father, uh, Mephibosheth's grandfather, Saul, died in war. And the battle continued, and as this battle continued on the way to the palace, on the way to the, the castle, uh, they heard about it that Saul was now dead, Jonathan was now dead, and I don't know what happened to uh, Mephibosheth's mother, because it doesn't mention her, but she was either captured, taken, or killed, we don't know. But his nurse uh, heard the bad news and picked up Mephibosheth and ran outside the, of, of the castle to try to get away from the, the war that was coming towards them. And as she picked that boy up to run, she tripped over something, and she fell, and either that boy fell down the stairs or fell in an awkward way. But when that boy landed, five years old, he, had, he was now uh, paralyzed in both feet. He was crippled in both feet, couldn't move. He's five years old, he's crying, and she's like, come on, get up, we got to leave, we got to leave. And the boy couldn't get up. He's stuck there. He could not move his feet anymore. Um, regretfully, this maid nurse picks him up, has to carry him out as far as she could take him to go get out of the way because they were afraid for their life. They were afraid that when the war gets there, they're going to be killed. This young guy's life totally changed in one day. His grandfather was the king. His father, was Jonathan, was set to be the next king, other than the prophecy about David being king. But as far as lineage goes, his, his father was the next king. Um, his mother was probably dead or captured. The kingdom was now taken for him. Any chance of him ever being king was gone. Uh, all his dreams, all his life of luxury, all the, the pleasures of being the son uh, and grandson of the king was gone. And on top of that, he was now paralyzed in both feet. A lot changed for him that day. It was a very bad day for him. Meshavath went from being royalty, the most high honor, if you would wave to him, they would uh, salute him and all those things, to being on the most, most wanted list of Israel for hunted people, at least in their minds. Because it was tradition when the kingship changed families, the, the new king would go in and kill the former family, all the men, women, and children, so that one of the children wouldn't rise up later to, to take the throne back. So in their mind... They thought when David comes and when he's getting installed in the kingdom, he's going to hunt us down. He's going to kill all of us. We need to get out of here. So they left and went as far away as they could. And they went to a, a small place called Lodabar. And it's approximately 100 miles away. They must have been really afraid of uh, what, was to co what could come. And Lodabar means a place with no pasture. He was now being raised in this hot desert place without any pasture, without any family members, and all of this because he didn't know the covenant. All this because he didn't know the covenant. If his maid would have known the covenant, 
If his servant would have known the covenant, if he would have knew the covenant, he wouldn't have to run. He wouldn't have had to get picked up and dropped. He wouldn't have had to been paralyzed. He wouldn't have all these things that happened to him. If he would have knew about the covenant, none of those things would have potentially happened to him. So um, what you don't know can hurt you. It's not just what you do know, but it's what you don't know. And so Hosea 4.6 says, My people perish because of lack of knowledge. We don't know. And I see this a lot in my, my, my picture of people with the church and how they, they see it. I think there's a lot of hurt and pain going on in people's lives because they are not aware of the covenant that they have with God through Jesus. And because they're not aware of it, there's a lot of hurt and pain and things that's almost self-inflicting because they are ignorant of the covenant that they have. So um, some people think that they're not good enough. They think that if they came to church, they'd be struck dead, that God's angry with them for their sin, God's mad at them, and they don't know God. And if Mephibosheth would have known David, if he would have known, knew the covenant, a lot would have been different in his life too. And the same with the church. If they would know God, you know, the covenant that Jesus made with God on your behalf, on our behalf, I think they would think differently about God. All right? So uh, over time, Bethibosheth's identity totally changed, as you can imagine it would. He no longer thought like a, a king's grandson. He started to think with a slave mentality. His life changed so much. When he was born, his birth name actually was Maribel. It wasn't Bethibosheth. It was Maribel. And it means quarreler of Baal or contender with Baal. He had dreams of being a mighty warrior just like his grandfather, dreams of being a mighty warrior just like his father, Jonathan. But his dreams were crushed, his dreams were smashed, and everything about his life totally changed in a moment. And uh, somewhere along the line, as he's feeling bad about his life, and he's feeling like, what am I doing now? I don't have anything. I'm in this dry, heat, desert place, no pasture land, no land of my own, no anything, no inheritance. He changed his name to Mephibosheth. And his name means to break into pieces, to be ashamed, or to be worthless. That was his new identity. He had no dad, no mother. His grandparents were gone. All of his siblings were gone. He was the only one left his family, and he was being now raised by his family. But he couldn't do the things that he used to do. From zero to five, once he was able to old enough to walk, he's running around the castle. He's playing and doing things, and now he couldn't even walk. Everything that he did had to be, he had to have assistance and help to do anything. And it was really tough for this guy. And because of, because of what he could or couldn't do, his value and worth in his own eyes just went down and down and down. I am broken. I am worthless. I am no good. Nobody cares about me. I don't have an inheritance. I don't have anything. And so he changed his name. So 15 years go by, and David's throne is now firmly established. That makes Mephibosheth 20 years old now. So I'm going to pick this story up in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, which should be on the screen for you guys. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Look at his heart. All the while, Mephibosheth, 15 years, and plus his fall. And he didn't know this was his heart. Man, I, I see that in the church, too. Like, think about Jesus. Would he be saying that to us, our God the Father? Who is in the house of the Lord? Not that God would have to ask this question, but who is in the house of the Lord that I can show kindness to for Jesus' sake? Do you know that? 
He wants to show kindness to you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let that sink in. Verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. I want you to notice how many times it says that in this story. It consistently keeps saying this because it's part of his identity, which doesn't need to be, but it is. Verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Micar, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Micar, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Hallelujah. All these years, he's feeling worthless and broken, and that he's going to be hunted down and killed. And all the while, he wants to show him kindness for his father's sake. Amen? It says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, how much land do you think that would be? An acre or two? We're talking about King Saul, right? I mean, he was king for many years, 30 years or so, maybe 40, I can't remember. A long time, he would have got land. I mean, who knows, hundreds of acres, maybe thousands of acres. We don't know. And instantly, in a moment, all of that land was transferred back to him. Not just the land, but the, the provisions that come from the land. He said, uh, um, you will all, always eat at my table. Verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Look at his identity, how he sees himself, through his eyes of what he can and what he can't do. If he could do more, if he was able to walk, if he was able to be athletic or a warrior or something, he would have great value in himself. But because of his situation, he valued himself like a dead dog. Verse 9. David just totally ignores him. <laughs> he says, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. Like he had a choice, right? This wasn't, there was no vote in this. If you go read this, everything that David says is so. It doesn't matter who owned the land or who owned the land before or after. He says, that land's now mine. It's, it's his. It's what, it's what the power of kings can do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all of the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. He's now 20 years old. For 15 years he lived in Lodabar. In a place well below his means. Well below, below his privileges. Well below his rights. All because of ignorance. All because he didn't know the covenant. The maid didn't know it. The nurse didn't know it. Nobody knew it. Jonathan and David, I guess, didn't make it known enough But this covenant they made together, and they were unaware. And all this time, he's living in this dry wasteland. 
thinking that David wanted to kill him. But what happened when the reunion happened? He's now 20. Everything that belonged to Saul and his, and his family now belonged to Mephibosheth. Everything. Right? The land was restored to him. Buildings were restored to him. He had 36 male servants plus female servants and probably others. Uh, they worked for him, and he reaped the harvest uh, for profit. On top of all that, he got to eat at the king's table every day, so he didn't have to even eat his own food. He could eat the king's food and then harvest the other food and make profit. All right? Uh, we're talking about restoration of all things. But for 15 years, that stuff was already his. But he didn't know it because he didn't know the covenant. 15 years. Again, I see a picture of the church living way below their means, not knowing the covenant rights we have, not based on your performance, not based if you can walk or not walk, or you're athletic or you're a mighty hunter or anything else, but based on the covenant that Father God made with Jesus. Amen. I can just picture David showing Mephibosheth around the castle. You know, just the wars are over. He's already killed everybody. No one, everyone's afraid to come at, come at him. They've heard how he killed Goliath and everybody else. And I just see him carrying him on his back. They wouldn't have had wheelchairs back then. So he's carrying like I would one of my young kids around and just walking him through the castle and say, you know what, this room here, that used to be uh, your grandfather's bedroom right here. It's my room now. But you see that spot over there? That's where he chucked the spear at me. <laughs> he probably didn't tell him that part. <laughs> anyway, that's where he tried to pin me against the wall, the spear. But <laughs> uh, he probably made his, his grandfather look good. But anyway, uh, then he walked through the house. And this room here, when your dad was growing up, that was his bedroom. This is his bed. And you know, we used to hang out a lot and spend a lot of time together. And this is his armor. He gave it to me. And this is his bow and arrow. This is his sword and all of his things. He gave them to me. And uh, he's like, that's awesome. He goes, tell me about my dad. Just imagine, tell me about him. He said, oh, he was a mighty warrior. Man, one time he climbed up, two guys climbed up the side of a mountain to attack a whole army of men to attack them, and they won, two against a bunch. That was your father. I mean, just, just imagine him getting his identity back from finding out who his dad is and all these stories. And, and uh, they just, he loved, probably told him hunting stories and this big buck that he shot and all these maybe recipes that he cooked. Who knows? They would have just had all this fun just hanging out together as he showed them around the castle. Now, uh, in my imagination, one day, I just imagined Mephibosheth saying to David, King David, yes, why are you so good to me? Why are you so nice to me? I can't ever do anything to repay it. I can't do anything ever to earn the, the, your nicest to me. He's, and he said, uh, what, I didn't tell you why? You don't know why I'm showing this kindness? And uh, he told him about the covenant. Now, Mithibosheth might have assumed he's being nice because he's his uncle. Because you remember, David married Saul's daughter, uh, Mike, Michael, Michael, and that would have made him his uncle. But that wasn't the reason. So uh, to, David, to Mithibosheth's surprise, David started sharing a different story, a story he had never heard before, a story about a covenant. Now, I'm sure he would have been familiar with the term covenant. He probably saw them and happened in different times, but he didn't know about this covenant. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. 1 Samuel 18.3. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. When this happened, Jonathan was the prince of all of Israel. You imagine that kind of relationship? It's like, all right, you have some connections now. This, this continues in 1 Samuel 20.14. Jonathan said, but show me unfailing kindness 
like that of the Lord. Look at Jonathan knew God, the unfailing kindness of the Lord. As long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when, when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. I just imagine Mephibosheth's face right then, like, what? You guys had a covenant that you made when you were probably teenagers, and you're honoring that covenant today? He's probably thinking, man, I wish someone would have told me that. <laughs> I wish someone would have told me about this covenant. And I wonder how many people are out there today that wish somebody would have told them about this covenant we have. They just think it's all about their behavior. They're all about how well they can do with sinning and not sinning. And if they do a good job with it, then God loves them. If they don't do a good job with them, God doesn't love them. And I, wish, I bet there's someone out there wondering and wishing that somebody would tell them about this covenant. So in Mephibosheth's mind, everything changed that day. He had an understanding that, wow, I have rights and privileges because of what my father and you did before I was even born. I'm now a benefactor, a recipient of a covenant made before I was even an idea, a thought, in my mother and father's mind. And guys, it's the same thing with you. Before you walked this earth, before you were in your mother's womb, before your father and mother were even born, God the Father looked ahead and he looked ahead and made provisions through his son for you to be taken care of and provided for for life. For your whole life. Not just to barely squeak by. Not just to, just, just to have enough. But to be a man and woman of God. A man and woman of the covenant. Amen? This covenant was made, again, before they were even born. His father, Jonathan, looked ahead. He didn't know what was going to happen to his son. He didn't know he'd be dropped. He didn't know these things would happen to him. He didn't know that he was, that how the war was going to work out. He didn't know him and his dad were going to be killed the same day. The word wasn't passed along, but he looked ahead, and he made provisions for his son. Methibosheth, that's fun to say, a bunch of times fast, didn't make the covenant. He didn't sign the covenant. He was the benefactor of the covenant, amen? And it's the same thing with you and me. You didn't make the covenant. You didn't make the terms. You didn't sign it. You were not there. We are benefactors and recipients of this covenant. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me show you this in Isaiah 54. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I, will, I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Amen. Isaiah prophesied about a day coming, that this, this day coming, he said this prophecy is just as sure as the word that God himself made about flooding the earth again and about the rainbow, that God himself will never be angry with you again. He will never rebuke you. He will, his loving kindness will never be turned off from you, and this covenant of peace is, will never end. Guys, this is the covenant that we're in today. This is the covenant that we have now. This is the covenant we have of grace. It's today for us now because of what Jesus did with the Father. Because God looked ahead. Jesus looked ahead. They made a covenant together so you would be provided for, not temporarily, 
but for your whole lifetime. In this life and in the life to come. God is not angry with you. And he will not rebuke you. His love for you will not change. And his covenant of peace will not change. Those are the terms of the covenant. And you are benefactors. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to receive by grace through faith and humility and thank God. It takes faith to believe this, man. It does take faith. That's how you know it's true. Amen? Because the righteous live by faith. So we no, longer lead, we no longer need to live 100 miles away from God in Lodabar in this pastureless land, way below our means, way below our privileges and our rights to the covenant. We now have a right to boldly approach the throne of grace, the throne of grace with the king. Because he's not going to get angry. He's not going to turn his love off. He's not going to be ashamed. He's not going to uh, cancel the covenant. He's, he re- has reinstated everything for you, and he's given it all back to you so you can be a, a benefactor of the covenant. I was thinking this morning when I was praying about, about this stuff, when you pray, you shouldn't pray like, like you're begging God for something. I know we've all probably done it. I have. Please, Jesus, please, Jesus, make this happen. Please, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. You try to say it as many times as you can because that might work, right? And uh, I'm like, like, just his arm on his back, doing something. There's a covenant. This isn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo. This isn't like you're playing poker here and only a couple people get to win. Or one, I guess, per hand. But anyway, <laughs> all right. It's a covenant that God made with Jesus. And you are all benefactors. Amen. You're all benefactors. So um, praise God. So our Father, God, looked ahead and made a covenant with you. So again, going back to what I was praying this morning, when you're praying, you could, you, could be, you could say the name of Jesus, but say it like you're saying it for a reason of declaring the covenant. So you're going around, something's going on, you're like, something bad's happening, you're like, Jesus, man, I got a covenant. Not begging, but Jesus. You're reminding yourself, you're not reminding God, I mean, he's, he's not going to forget, but it does say, remind ye me. Remind me, me. You're supposed to remind God, not that, he's, not that he forgot, but you're, you're reminding him for your benefit, not his. Remind ye, me, that you have a covenant. All right? So when you say Jesus, not begging thing like, oh, man, this is going to turn out for my good because I got a covenant with God, and I don't got to do anything to do it to make it work or make it happen. Man, this is going to turn for my good and my favor. All I got is Jesus. What's the reason why? Jesus. I mean, any Sunday school kid can get that one. Amen? <laughs> All right? So 23 years go by, and David uh, is now on the run because his son Absalom is trying to kill him. David had a rough life, guys. He had a lot of highs and lows. He had a lot of rough things happen in his life. Uh, Ziba brings David supplies, and he has this conversation with him in 2 Samuel 16.3. The king then asked, where is, your, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, He is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then King David said to Ziba, All that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in in your eyes, my lord the king. Imagine the pain David's going through right here. Okay? His, His son, his beloved son, the one with the beautiful hair. You know, they had such thick hair, he got stuck in a tree. I mean, I don't think my hair could hold me in a tree. His hair could hold him in a tree. I mean, he had some thick hair. Beautiful young man, 
And, uh, but this young man wanted the throne more than he wanted a father. He wanted power more than he wanted his dad. And he was trying to kill him. And then Mephibosheth, who he's been taking care of for 23 years, uh, decides, well, I'm going to get my throne back, my grandfather's throne back. I'm not going to go with David. I'm going to stay back behind. But guy, and in that betrayal, in that pain, David gave all the land back to Ziba. I mean, he was hurting. He made an emotional decision. But, you know, Ziba, he lied to David about that. You know, just think about this. Ziba wasn't happy when uh, Methuselah came home. He, he, that land was then his. He had 15 sons. He wanted them to inherit that stuff. He thought he was entitled to it because he had worked it so hard. He'd been working and working and working. Guys, we don't receive the things from God from working. We see the, receive the things of God by grace through inheritance, through covenant. He'd been working. He felt entitled to these things. He worked so many years for it. And he had all these sons, and they needed it. And so he made this story up. And how we know he made it up is because if Absalom was the one attacking David, why would the kingdom go back to Mephibosheth? It would stay in David's family with Absalom. So the story made no sense. But out of David's pain, he believed it, and he ordered the land be reverted back to Ziba. So his true, his true colors are clearly shown here. Now, this, this attack with Absalom and David went on for four years. Imagine he's out of the castle. Uh, Absalom's sleeping with his concubines. He's making a mockery of his father. He's just doing awful, evil things. Imagine the heart of, his, of the dad, David, my son. The war finally ends, but it ends because Absalom's now dead four years later. And uh, David's coming home to retake his throne and at that point, I wonder if he's wishing he never became king to begin with. Just wonder what he'd feel like. I'd rather have my son than this dang kingdom or, or whatever. Just like, oh, just, it'd, be, it'd be awful, wouldn't it? So I'll pick the end of this story up in 2 Samuel 19. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he safely returned. This may be the most disgusting verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> he was gone for four years, okay? Uh, he didn't trim his mustache. He didn't take care of his feet, so who knows how long his toenails were, all right? And he didn't wash his clothes in four years. So he probably didn't have a lot of friends he was hanging out with, right? He probably spent a lot of alone time during that time, okay? That's really gross, but verse 25 when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me with Thibosheth? A question David had probably been wondering for four years. We were close. I mean, for 23 years I took care of you. I carried you around the castle. I gave you back all the stuff. Why didn't you come with me? He said, My lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so that I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. My lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. Verse 28. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? What right does he have? In the natural, he has no right. All right, it's King David's decision. He's a king. Whatever he says goes. Uh, David's left with this pain he's been dealing with for four years and all these struggles he's gone through. But what right did he have? He had a covenant. Right then and there, he, all he had to say was, 
Jonathan. I think if he would have said that, David would have smiled. He probably would have hugged him. He probably would have gave him back all of the land and probably some extra things because you didn't forget. You remember that day we walked through the house together. You remember me telling you about that covenant, and you reminded me that I promised to be faithful to Jonathan's family for my entire lifetime. Therefore, I'll be faithful to you. I think he would have been thrilled by that. But that's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. Let me show you what he did say. Verse uh, 29. The king said to him, um, sorry, I skipped it here. Anyway, I'll just tell you what he said because I remember. <laughs> he, he said, oh, when the, the king said, why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the fields. And he said, do whatever you want, basically. That's okay, do what you want. Now, he just lost half of his inheritance, half of everything that him had given to him. He didn't say anything. It's just okay. He has a son, Mika. What about him? Half, I mean, he didn't even think about them. All I thought about was, I'm not worthy. He says, um, verse 30, But Tebeseph said to the king, Let him take everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. He still, what happened, what I think happened to him in the four years while he was alone, while he wasn't taking care of his feet, while he wasn't trimming his mustache or washing his clothes, the, 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 the mentality of a slave started creeping back in. The mentality of Mephibosheth and his name, what it means, started to creep back in. He goes, well, I don't deserve any of this stuff. He wasn't thinking about his son. He wasn't thinking about the future. He was thinking about himself. And he gave it all up for nothing, not even a bowl of soup. He just wanted to give it all away for nothing. But all he had to say was Jonathan. Again, it makes me think of the church, guys. How far below our rights and privileges we're living in sometimes today because we feel so unworthy or so ashamed, or I'm so broken, or I've been divorced, or I've been to prison, or I've done this wrong, or I've done that wrong, or I've done that wrong. And you know what? It makes absolutely no difference at all. Because even if you would have done everything right, which is impossible, you still would not earn the covenant that was made before you were born. You inherit the covenant. You can't work for it like Ziba. You have to inherit it like Mephibosheth. And it takes faith. Amen? Amen. So, in closing... Our father, God, looked ahead and he knew that Ryan Bridgio was going to have needs. He knew I was going to mess up big time. <laughs> oh, man. He knew I was going to screw up about everything I had a chance to screw up. And he's, he would have been right. But he looked ahead and he made provisions for me and for you before you were even born. And he made a covenant with his son, Jesus, sealed and signed in his own blood that you now get to be benefactors and I get to be a recipient of this new covenant by faith, not by what we do. Guys, I'm telling you, I know you've heard me say these things before. I'm saying it in a different way today, but I'm really trying to believe it myself. And I really want you guys to believe it too. Because guys, all of God's promises are yes and amen because of the covenant. Not because of how much he prayed, fasted, or read the Bible, but because there's a blood covenant that was shed for you. He looked ahead and made provision for you and for me and, made pro and gave it to us through inheritance. It's our birthright to be sons and daughters of the covenant. Amen? So today, I want you to receive your inheritance, not based on what you can and can't do. 
if you're a mighty hunter or, or a warrior like Jonathan or David or anything else. But based on there's a God out there who wants to forever show you loving kindness, who will never rebuke you, he'll never be angry with you, he'll never take his covenant of peace from you again. Amen? And all he wants to do is you to believe his word and trust him and give him your heart. Amen? Now, that might sound easy, and it is if you believe. There'll be things come up in your life that cause you to doubt and, uh, and try to make you not believe it. But if you hold fast your confession of faith, if you have faith and confidence in the covenant in Jesus' name and not let it go like Mephibosheth did, losing half over out of nothing, because he didn't value himself, you can inherit the promises of God through faith. Again, take yourself out of the equation and put the Father and Jesus into the equation, and you can say, Jesus, I don't deserve it, but praise God for the covenant. I receive it by faith. Amen? Guys, that is the new covenant. And that covenant is not going to change. Amen? He made an everlasting covenant. Amen? If you guys will stand, I'm going to pray blessed on you guys. I'm not sure if it went long or not. I left my watch and my phone at home today, so if I did, praise God. If I didn't, then praise God anyway, both ways. Amen? But uh, I love that message. I get just as blessed sharing it as I do, um, as I hope you guys did, because there's so much truth in it. I mean, that, that is so layered in there of the brokenness of Mephibosheth, his need for help, and, but his father looked ahead with his covenant and made provision. Amen? I mean, it's awesome. So God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the covenant that we have, that we get to now boldly approach the throne of grace, and it's nothing to do with us. It's to do with Jesus. So God, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And when we get there, when we go there, we're going to say Jesus. And remember the covenant and the rights and the privileges we have because of you. Thank you, Lord. God, I bless your children today. I pray you take Lodabar out of all of us. I pray you take Mephibosheth out of all of us. The brokenness, the ashamed, the worthlessness out of our soul. You take all that out of us and help us be rooted and grounded in love in the covenant that we have because of you. I just thank you for your word and these people. In Jesus' name, amen.